Hello all, um, it is really good to be with you. Um, whenever I am doing more poetry stuff, I go by Madison May Parker because it sounds fancier, but really I'm just Maddie. So yeah, it's good to be with you all. Um, so Nick is gonna kick us off tonight, but I did have, I did wanna kind of just give an explanation of how um, the chat is gonna work tonight or like dialogue. Um, as you all know, or maybe you don't, maybe it's your first time with us, um, the open table, we really value dialogue and conversation. Um, you know, we believe that not one person holds like all the wisdom or all the knowledge um, and that we learn from each other. Obviously technology makes that difficult to sometimes engage with. So um, we have, Nika and I have planned out certain sections for us to get to dialogue both um, verbally together as well as in the chat. Um, and besides that though, in other moments, we will make it where um, the host has enabled it where um, you will be unable to mute yourself. And that's only just because it's annoying Zoom thing, but we only do that just so that like, there's lots of life happening around us, which is beautiful and great. But like, if so-and-so's dog is, is barking in the background, we're able to still like hear one another. It's kind of an idea of respect um, so that we can really engage with one another in that way. Um, but if there is something to like throughout, feel free to please engage with the chat as much as possible. And we'll probably even throughout be like, hey, not a dialogue portion, but we would love to hear so-and-so if you'd be willing to share more about that thing you just put in the chat or whatever it might be. Um, and I also got started in poetry through like loud bars. So I'm all about lots of responses and lots of loudness too. So feel free to even like engage with like ASL clapping throughout it all or snaps or even put snaps into the chat. I adore that. That's how I got into poetry was through snapping and bars and stuff. So we can, we can carry that over here too. So just kind of a little bit of how we'll be engaging in a conversation tonight. Um, but without further ado, I'm going to let Nika kick us off. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here today. Let me know if it gets a little jumbly. Um, but I'm going to start off. Uh, Nika, you're, you're a little crackly again. We were having trouble earlier. Nika and I have had three Zoom calls and they've all been so clear. And then like today of all days with the rain. Yeah, the rain. Okay, hold on. Nika, if it's still wanting to do that, we could try just calling in um, with your phone and yeah. just doing audio. That could work too. Okay. Can you go ahead and do poem and then I'll call in while you, while you get started? Yes, we'll do that. Okay. We'll do that. Okay. So while Nika is um, getting set up, this is a poem that Nika found that we were going to start off tonight. Um, it is by Rumi, and it is titled Our Caravan Bell. Do you hear what the violin says about longing? The same as the stick, I was once a green branch in the wind. We are all far from home. Language is our caravan bell. Do not stop anywhere. The moment you are attracted to a place, you grow bored with it. Think of the big moves you have already made from a single cell to a human being. Stay light-footed and keep moving. Turkish, Arabic, Greek, any tongue is a wind that was formerly water. As the breeze carries the ocean inside it, so within every sentence is return to the source. A moth does not avoid flame. The king lives in the city. And that is a poem by Rumi titled Our Caravan Bell. So our topic tonight is, is worship of the written word and the white supremacy construct of worship of the written word and how poetry can serve as an antidote 
um, to that, a spiritual antidote to that. And we value so much writing things down and, 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 and letting that be our memory. Uh, but tonight, we're going to offer up space for reflection. And, and we want you to just remember lines or things from the poems that stuck out to you. Um, and I believe Nika just hopped in. So maybe I'm gonna let her finish up explaining this exercise. Let's see here. Thank you so much, Maddie. So since we're talking about the worship of the written word today, one of the things that we lose with worship of the written word with always having to write things down is the ability to really remember and retain things um, that is so important to an oral history. And so tonight in the tradition of a oral history, there will be different moments that I will ask everyone to pause, to remember just one word without writing it um, from the segment um, that's following the pause, um, and to remember people who were never even allowed to learn to read or write. Mm -hmm. so, um, so when we come to those pauses, just you guys will, will be prepared, but I'll repeat again and um, kind of give everybody a moment to pause and reflect in that moment. So. Thank you for that, Nika. That was really great. Um, yeah. And so with that, you're probably like, well, what is, like, why are we talking about poetry in light of this written word thing? And isn't like poetry a form of written art? Like what is, how did that, how does that work? Um, which we'll get into, but I want to hear when I say like, what is poetry? I kind of want to hear from folks what you think poetry is and, and why poetry. And this can be like, I hate poetry. This can be like, I love poetry. I'm a poet myself, whatever, however you interact with poetry or what you think poetry is. Um, you can put that in the chat or share out loud. What is poetry and, and why poetry? Why does poetry even exist? Jeremy has said poetry is soul language. I like that. Thank you. Yes. Batia, words without music or Kansas Poor People's Campaign. I just am sneaky and know who that is. Josephine, mm -hmm. poetry is food for the soul. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all of these different definitions for poetry. Savannah, living, breathing expression and art. Mm. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of embodied language I am, I'm hearing from people. We have like soul, um, food, uh, living, breathing, you know, those are all very embodied words too, which is awesome to see. Um, and I think it's often not how we talk about poetry and talk about language. We talk about it as like a two plus two is four, roses are red, violets are blue. And it's not this, um, it's not this equation to solve, but it's actually this really vibrant and alive thing. Um, Wendy, for me, poetry is heightening the senses with words. Billy, poetry is lesson. Mm, that's good. A way of processing our inner and outer world. Melissa has said, poetry is hard for me to interpret, but it is intriguing. Yeah, totally. There's a lot of poems I read and I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I like love it. I, I get that, Melissa. Nick, Emily has said, uh, when you don't have words, you are left with poetry. I had a professor who used to say that. Mm. I love these. Y'all are going in. This is great. Um, yeah. So, and feel free to keep answering that in the chat um, and keep going. I have another question kind of in light of this is obviously the open table is, is a church and a church community. And um, 
you know, worship of the written word is the formal phrase that comes from the white term city document we've been using throughout this whole series. Um, and so usually when you, for me, at least coming from a, a Christian upbringing as well, I hear worship of the written word. And I think more like Christian Bible, like the written word, like capital W it's the Bible. Um, but here it, we'll get into that a little bit, but this is talking about like the whole concept of like love, like the English language, loving things being written down and the credentialing and things around that. Um, but with that and with us being a church, I kind of want us to also ask, well, what is scripture and, and why scripture? So go ahead and like, if you want to even combine those answers, you can, you also don't have to, but yeah, what is scripture and why do we have scripture? Like what, why scripture? So we have uh, allegory in the chat, a blueprint for our lives. Yeah. Oral tradition written down. Mm. Yeah. With Tia jumping ahead, that Reverend Doctor over here. For me, scripture is God's word. Sometimes an attempt for certain certainty among mystery. Ooh, I like that, Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of wanted, we wanted to kind of start it off this way because um, we so often think, well, this is the definition of, of this one thing. And it's, but clearly just through the chat, we got so many definitions of poetry and scripture alone. And they're, they all hold truth and they all hold weight and merit. Um, and for when Nika and I were talking about this about tonight and what we wanted to share, some of it was like, we are, we're both poets. And some of it was for us, poetry shows all the ways language doesn't hold and, and kind of names the unnameable. A couple of y'all, I think even put that in the chat, which was awesome. Um, and you know, we're talking specifically English right now too. Like, I mean, I can't speak upon other language that I, languages that I do not know, but for me, I see we have one word for love in the English language, but how that shows up is so different in different contexts. And so I think the ways that poetry kind of break open and you really, really read between the lines inside of it. Um, and the dictionary definition of, of scripture, um, if we're going to go with that, I mean, for Miriam Webster is a body of writings considered to be sacred or authoritative. And I don't know about y'all, but like, at least from my, my white Southern Christian Texas upbringing, I like bristle a little bit at that authoritative word. I'm like, Ooh, mm -mm, I don't like it. I don't like it. So I think even the ways that we define things holds a lot of power in how we talk about things. Um, yeah. So thanks for sharing some of y'all thoughts. Keep, keep things going in the chat too. I, I, I love that. Um, but I'm going to pass it off to Nika. Yes, awesome. Thank you, Maddie. Um, so for the kind of more of a detailed explanation or description of how white supremacy has used the written word, um, and what do we mean when we talk about white supremacy? Um, so worship of the written word, this is from the text about dismantling racism as a workbook. Um, if it's not in a memo, it doesn't exist. So those um, with strong documentation and writing skills are more highly valued, even at organizations where ability to relate to others is key to the mission antidote. So those are just a couple of things. We will give those handouts for people to read, so I won't read all of them in depth, but just to give people an idea of what it is that we are talking about when we talk about worship of the written word um, and white supremacy, kind of how this is used as a form of gatekeeping or exclusion. Um, for people. So what are some things from you guys that come to mind that may not be written here in the document or may not have been mentioned um, that you can think of as ways that worship of the written word has been a way of 
um, gatekeeping or has been oppressive um, to you and your life or just some ways that you can think of um, ways to frame this for your, from your own understanding. And these can be shared out in the chat um, or um, one example that we came up with was um, with names, like on resumes. So um, just like a name that's written on a resume um, can be a reason to discriminate against somebody. So that's a form of, of gatekeeping that uses the written word. Um, credentials. So if you don't have all of these, you know, titles before or behind your name, um, those can be ways of excluding and oppressing. Yeah, Jeremy even mentioned birth certificates, gatekeeping, genders, citizenship, mm -hmm. um, marriage. Um, that's one I had not thought of. That one's, that's great. Um, mm -hmm. are not great, but good example. Um, our entire education is based off diplomas, um, paper, pieces, pieces of paper written by and for the right people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the academy, written word is the only way people are evaluated to receive credentials. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. That's a really good example. Thank you guys for participating. Um, so for this next step, um, and you guys are welcome to keep on um, writing them and sharing them in the chat as well. Um, but this is a moment that I'm going to invite everybody to pause, to reflect, to remember one word from this next um, video that we're gonna show you, committed to memory without writing. Um, and as you do this practice and as you pause and reflect, um, remember the people who are never even allowed to learn to read or to write. Like totally whatever after Taylor Molly. In case you haven't realized it has somehow become necessary for old white men to tell me how to speak? They like interrupt a conversation that isn't even theirs and are like, speak like you mean it. And like the internet is ruining the English language and they like put my parentheticals, my likes and ums and your nose on a wait list. Tell them no one will take them seriously in a frilly pink dress or that makeup. Tell them they have a confidence problem, that they should learn to speak up like the hyper-masculine words who are always the first to raise their hands. Invisible red pens and college degrees have been making their way into the middle of my sentences. I've been crossing things out every time I take a moment to think. Declarative sentences, so-called because they declared themselves to be the loudest, most truest, most taking up the most space, most totally white man sentences, have always told me that being angry has never helped like anybody, has only gotten in the way of helping them declare more shit about how they'll never be forgotten like ever. It's like F. Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway were geniuses for turning women into question marks. It's like rapes. It's like rapes happen all the time on campuses, but as soon as John Krakauer writes about it, suddenly it's like innovative nonfiction and not like something girls are like making up for like attention. And it's like maybe I'm always speaking in questions because I'm so used to being cut off. It's like maybe this is defense mechanism. Maybe everything girls do is evolution 
evolution of defense mechanism. Like this is protection. Like our likes are our knee pads. Our ums are the knives we tuck into our boots at night. Our you knows are the best friends we call when we're walking down a dark alley. Like this is how we breathe easier. But I guess feelings never helped anybody. I guess like tears never made change. I guess like everything girls do is a waste of time. So welcome to the bandwagon of my own uncertainty. Watch as I stick flowers in your punctuation mark guns. Cause you can't just challenge authority. You gotta take it to the mall too. Teach it to do the bend and snap. Paint its nails, braid its hair. Tell it it looks like really good today. And in that moment before you murder it with all of the poison in your like softness, you let it know that like this, like this moment is like, um, you know, me using my voice. Um, so that is Melissa Lozada Oliva um, with the poem, Like Totally Whatever. Um, and that was a response, Tony pointed that out, um, that is a response poem to um, Taylor Molly wrote a poem, I believe in like the 90s, early 2000s, um, criticizing how young people spoke with a lot of ums and likes. Um, and that was Melissa, who's a Latinx cis woman, um, her response to it. And I think that holds a lot of power, right? Um, and how we're expected to even talk and show up in places. Um, and I think moving into that, um, we're gonna be sharing a couple of poems throughout all of this too. And, and remember that remembering exercise too that Nika, Nika led us through earlier and, and just what shows up for you too, um, even bodily and emotionally, what shows up for you? Um, how does your body respond when listening to these things and hearing these things, both the poems and like what Nika and I have to share tonight? Um, but the worship of the written word isn't a new thing. Like that's, you know, we might have language or terms for it now, but this has happened since America was colonized. <laughs> like we colonized America. Like this isn't a new thing. It's even was part of how colonization took place. Um, and because of that, because of colonization and missionaries coming in and sharing these, dictating what things needed to be shared, um, a lot of oral history and a lot of stories and traditions and cultures um, have been lost because of that. And I think in that, there's a real death that happens, not even like the physical death that does happen with colonization, but there's also the emotional and cultural death that happens to that. There's a book I've been reading um, by an indigenous woman um, called Braiding Sweet Grass, excuse me. Um, and in it, she has a story about going and hearing um, five of the elders of her, the tribe that she's from. And they are the only five remaining people who know her native tongue. And she's in the middle of learning it. She's in her 40s or 50s at the time. And she is the only one who, there's five elders left in her whole tribe that know her native tongue. And she's describing this real, this like deep mourning that's coming with like these, and these people are in their sixties plus. And so, you know, they're kind of seeing like when these people will die, like there's a, there's a history that's being lost too. And, and she's trying to learn it to carry it still, but she's like, how do I learn this language that I was never taught? And was, and it was taken from me too, because it was taken from her grandparents. Um, so there's a real, there's a, there's an actual death and a loss that occurs with this. Um, and I, I took this line from a podcast that we're going to put in the resource um, 
called Reclaiming My Theology. Um, a, a black theologian has been going through, a black woman theologian, and using the same constructs that we're going through and analyzing them and inviting speakers to come in. And on her podcast about the written word, um, they shared the victors are the ones who get to tell the story, right? The people who win are the ones who then get to dictate what the stories are shared. And we're even seeing that played out now within there's been this like 1619 project in schools, right? That is trying to retell like, okay, well, what's the real history behind slavery? We learned a very soft, whitewashed, not true version of what slavery was in America. And, and it's affected even how our politics are today too. So in that, by being, um, it devalues um, people and it devalues other forms of education and spirituality as we've already kind of discussed too. Um, and I think here specifically, if we're going to talk about the ways it is, um, and I think Emily has been the one I've been seeing her, some of her chats come in, um, but it's also been used a ton within Western Christianity too. And I think um, we would do a disservice as a church to not name that and name the weight and the pain of that too. Um, the Bible has been used and credentialing of titles too, of like who has a seminary degree and who doesn't. And, who has the ability to even pursue those degrees too, whether that's money, race, gender, sexuality, um, has been used to then push people to the margins about who has access to even read the Bible, to interpret the Bible, to even go to church or worship inside of a church building, who gets to decide where churches are, both physically as, as a place and a building, and as well as um, where they get to just show up to and where and who gets to call their spirituality true and right. Um, and I think within that too, it's, it's, it's interesting that like, not interesting. It's, it's fat. I think what well, is, yeah. Um, Jesus, his whole, all of his stories were parables. And what is a parable that us, like, that is uh, this deep, all of his lessons were stories and metaphors and images that he was sharing with people. And it wasn't things that he's like, I'm going to write down and then I'll, you know, send us off. No, it was like community. Um, and there's an isolation that occurs when we read the Bible or read whatever text it is in isolation too. And stories and lessons were shared communally and together with people. And I think, um, and then it wasn't until later that Jesus's stories were written down by others well after his death, right? So even Jesus in his own story and ministry shared all of these experiences verbally with people. You know, it was this oral tradition, this oral storytelling. And it wasn't till later, much, much later even, that some of these stories were even recorded. Um, and even the way they were recorded in the gospels, a lot of them don't even line up too. Like they will, they don't necessarily go A to Z in the traditional linear way that we would expect them to. So even the narratives don't always line up. And I think that shows that there's people behind it, which I think is a beautiful thing because behind people, that's where the actual stories are and are truly embodied. Um, and I think by viewing some of this religious, the way religion has, Christianity has um, whitewashed and silenced people has also made it where we have a small view of God and a small view of how we get to interact with the spiritual and the, and the divine. Um, and I think with that in mind, kind of in light of one of some of Savannah's questions from earlier too, um, I would love for us to discuss um, whether the chat or if you would like to unmute yourselves, um, where does your story come from? And that can look a lot of different ways. You know, we have our individual story, we have our familial story, our maybe our local like city story, um, your religious story, your national story. 
Um, so whatever was the first thing that came to you, I would love to hear what, where did your story came, come from and who told you that story too? Um, well, in our group, um, we discussed um, our stories as being um, going back to learning about our ancestors um, and stories passed down from people in our family. Um, and for me, when I think about stories and um, who told me stories, it was more about where I came from. So my mom and I immigrated here uh, from Vietnam when I was 18 months old. Um, so when I tell stories to my children, it's more about location. Um, and um, Keith said it really well, like more like our roots. Um, and so my boys both were born in North Carolina, but I was born in Vietnam and, um, you know, where their um, dad was born. And so more of like location of where we came from was uh, what I think of when I think of my story. Yeah, thank you for sharing, Chi. Um, yeah, I hear a lot of like, yeah, there's, there's location in that and there's, there's home and there's roots and it's kind of even like within that, I, he I hear um, a processing of like, well, what is home and what is, is home a location, is home a place? And, and what does that mean for me and like my family at unit inside of that? Um, thank you for sharing, Chi. Mm, Billy, being on the almost tail end of the line with 10 siblings, my story had many filters. Wow. Mm. That's beautiful. Savannah has said, so much of my story was informed by who I felt like my parents wanted me to be in the passing down of their trauma. Only recently have I been allowing myself to create my own story and live into it. Mm. Thank you for sharing, mm -hmm. Savannah. That's beautiful. For real, yeah. Mariah shared, the story I got told at first was from my parents, very conservative, very non-LGBT friendly. Coming out and telling my own story is still hard. Thank you for being present with us, Mariah, and showing up in whatever way you can today. Yeah, I would say for me, um, I want to say that like religion did a number on me because uh, it was definitely one of those things where it was a story that was placed on me. Um, and because of that story that was placed on me, it taught me like the kind of religion that I grew up in, in my, in the Christian tradition was pretty fundamentalist. And so it taught me to distrust my body, distrust my own instincts and place it solely on an exterior source. And so it taught me to not trust myself. And it's, it's taken a, a number of years to get to the place where I'm starting to figure out what, uh, how to trust my own body and my own instincts in my own heart. Um, knowing that that is also where God emanates from. Thank you for sharing that, Nick. Yeah, that's so real. Um, just the having the stories that we've um, been told about ourselves kind of dictated by our culture. Uh, so this next piece that we are going to read, um, I'm going to open and invite people again for another reflection. So take a moment and pause. 
um, to really think about the last exercise and the stories um, that we told or that we haven't told of ourselves um, and the value of those stories and understanding that with the worship of the written word often um, decides whose stories are credited and discredited. It gets to decide really who writes that history and what the value is of those stories. So take a moment during this next piece that we will play, try to remember one word without writing it. And as you um, participate in this practice, um, remember those who are never even allowed to learn to read or to write. When a lot of people think about poetry, they think it can only be about deer and flowers and the clouds, right? They think it's inaccessible. It's not about the experiences we have every day. And so this professor goes on and on about deer because grad school classes are long. And he goes one step further. He says, I want everybody in the room to write an animal ode, right? And an ode is a praise poem. It's a poem that elevates an ordinary thing to a different height. So he goes to one class and he's like, what would you write about? And my class is like, well, like Elizabeth Bishop, I would write about the blackbird. 13 Ways How to See a Blackbird is a very famous poem. This person was not being original, right? I'm like, okay, you're a biter. He goes to another classmate. My class is like, I would write about sea anemones. And I'm Googling on the table like, what the is a sea anemone, right? Like, why would you write about that? Too original. And then my professor gets to me. And the one piece of writing advice you always get is write what you know. And I told y'all where I'm from. Y'all here in New York, you know what creatures we got around. And so I'm hype. I'm like, this is a good answer. I'm like, I would write about rats. <laughs> and I feel good, right? Like, you know, family feud, good answer, good answer, good answer. <laughs> I was waiting for like my applause. And in this space that I often felt that I should not speak up, this professor laughed at me. And he said, rats? are not noble enough creatures for a poem. I think you need more experiences, Liz. And this was not a man who was like inherently insidious. This is not a man who had done me wrong in any other capacity. This was someone who we would call a good man and a fine poet. But in that moment, this was a man who told me my story was not worthy of being on the page because it's not just about the rap, right? It's about that the different symbols we have in our lives that we never see in books, we are then told not only can we not see them, we also cannot write them. We are erased even from our own narrative. And so I wrote this poem, it's my official clapback to that professor, it's called Rat Ode. <laughs> and it serves as a reminder for any of us who have ever been told our story is too small or too ugly or too different for high art, that we are all of us deserving of poetry. So this is for the rats in the room. Because you are not the admired nightingale. Because you are not the noble doe. Because you are not the picturesque ermine, armadillo, or bat. They have been written and I don't know their song the way I know your scuttling between walls. The scent of your collapsed corpse rotting beneath floorboards. Your frantic squeal as you pull at your own fur from glue traps, ripping flesh from skin in an attempt to survive. Because in July of 97, 
You birthed a legion on 109th, sworn from behind the dumpsters, made our streets infamous for something other than crack. Shit, we nicknamed you Cat Killer. Raced with you through open hydrants, squeaked like you when Siete blasted aluminum back into your brethren's skull. The sound slapped down dominoes. You reigned that summer rap, and even when they sent exterminators, half dead and on fire, you pushed on, because even though you are an inelegant, simple, mammal bottom feeder, always freaking famished little ugly thing who feasts on what crumbs fall from the corners of our mouths, you live uncuddled, uncoddled, can't be bought at Petco and fed to fat snakes because you are not the maze rat of labs. Pale, pretty-eyed, trained, you raise yourself, sharp fang, clawed, scarred, patched dark because of this. He should love you. But look at the beast, the poet tells me. The table is already full, and rat, you are not a right-worthy thing. Every time they say that, take your gutter, your dirt coat, filth this page, rat. Scrape your underbelly against street concrete. You better squeak and raise the whole world, rat. Let loose a plague of words, rat. And remind them that you, that I, we are worthy of every poem. Here. Yeah. That is Elizabeth Acevedo. Um, she is a titled rat ode. She is a Afro Latinx um, woman from, as you hear, New York. I believe specifically the Bronx. I've heard her perform that poem once live before for my students. I teach youth poetry and it is, it is just as good live y'all. It is. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, some of y'all have already alluded to this, which is great. Y'all are, y'all are already in the know, but, um, where do our experiences, like, where do we experience our lives, right? We experience our spirituality, like our wisdom, we experience it in the body. So we often like, we'll read about these things. Like we can study, we can study scripture. We can study poetry. We can study philosophy, wisdom, whatever. But like where those things actually happen is in our physical bodies. And so to focus only on the written word is also to discount the body and to ignore the body. And I think it then is therefore, especially as a white person, as like myself, like I can then easily discount another person who has a different story than me more easily if I'm just looking at stats and statistics, right? But if I have another person in front of me, if I see them in their body, in their full body, divinity, soulship, all of that stuff, like I, I can't ignore their story you know i can't it's to just look at the written word is to discount the body and discount the person in front of us too and i think it's a way that white supremacy wants to show up to um discount the narratives of bipoc black indigenous and people of color and disc discount the narratives um and their lived experiences right um and so when we think about poetry being this mystical antidote for the white supremacy construct of the written word, um, something that came to mind. And I, I called upon the lovely Wendy that we got to celebrate earlier because I have not gone to ministry, like ministry school or anything like that. My background is in poetry and in writing. Um, and so I, I called upon Wendy who has gone to seminary and all the things. And I was like, Wendy, I know this is a true thing that happened, but I would love some more context and research. So she provided and was great. Um, and one of the things that she pointed out to me um, was that in the New Testament, we have 
the author of the Gospel of John, he refers to Jesus as logos, which in Greek means word or reason. So the prologue reads something like, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. So even thinking about earlier, um, Jesus sharing all these stories and parables, here we are having like an actual body and flesh in front of us and having our lived experiences being in our body. And I feel like the more and more I've gotten into poetry, I actually feel like I've disentangled and I'm still disentangling my own racism because of poetry. Like I kind of encountered my own whiteness because of poetry really early on in college um, because I was hearing other people's stories. And, and as I've gone on this journey, the more I've um, begun to untangle some of that in myself, I, I feel my body respond more to poems and I feel my body come alive more in interactions and hearing people's stories too. Um, and so in what, as we're experiencing this, you know, poetry is not about an equation, but about a feeling in my opinion. <laughs> um, so thinking about the body, where do you experience God and the divine, the creative energy, whatever word you need to insert there, where do you experience that for yourself? Um, that maybe isn't in the traditional form of spirituality. Um, and that can be in the chat or out loud. So we have Wendy has shared nature and underwater. Billy has said in the theater. Thanks for sharing y'all. I think for me, it's, I could, or I can experience God in places that are not outrightly Christian, like Christian, you know, I can experience God in music that's not Christian music <laughs> or, you know, readings that are not scripture as well. Mm. Yeah. I think that's so true, Nika. I would, I would echo that too. Um, yeah, I would definitely echo that. Yeah. I see an art and creativity from Garrett problem solving to help others from Billy and Disney movies and music. I love a good cartoon. I have anime in my bio for a reason. Everywhere. Radical community. Yeah, so I think in like thinking about these things, um, the written word and worship of the written word can, can also narrow where we get to experience spirituality and where we get to experience the divine and God and love. Um, where I think Josephine nailed it. It's, it's everywhere, you know, and it's how I might, like, cannot handle sports. I do not get sports, but I know people love sports and somebody out there probably interacts with the divine through sports. Don't get it, but I'm sure people do. And it's like, that's where it's true. That's like, that's what's true though about beautiful about stories. Yeah. Hmm. Tony has shared, I experienced God in the places we were supposed to, the drag queen performance, the street performer, those places we were just not supposed to. Mm -hmm. That's so great. I really love Jack. I dropped a comment. Okay. So, in um, answering these questions, you guys are welcome to continue in the chat um, to post your feelings about where you experience these things outside of the traditional ideas that you were raised with. Um, but in answering this question, consider your body or other people's bodies or communities. Um, if you want to answer with like meditation, what happens in your body during these moments? What happens if you experience this along with another person? Um, just remembering some bodily sensations. 
as you're like experiencing what that feels like. Um, the oral tradition is in a sense trapped within the confines of a culture's collective value system. It's first and foremost a group activity and reinforces bonds within the culture while writing is an individual pursuit. So if you think about even what your body does while you're taking notes. So you're looking down, can't really see everybody that's around you um, when you're writing. So this is a symbol or a symbolic um, gesture about like the ways that the written word um, changes, the way that we interact with each other and with the culture. Um, so for this next part, we're going to pause and reflect again for the next piece that we're about to play. Take a moment to remember one word from this piece without writing it down. And also while you're doing this practice, remember people who are never even allowed to learn to read or to write. My name is Anise Mojgani. Yeah. Come closer. Come into this. Come closer. You're quite the beauty. If no one has ever told you that before, know that right now. You are quite the beauty. There is joy in how your mouth dances with your teeth. Your smile is simply a sign of how sacred your life actually is, so step into it. Come closer. Know that whatever God might be, they ask the world around them to help them make something of worth. They woke from dreaming, scraped the soil from spaces stuck somewhere inside themselves. They made you and you were happy. You make that Lord happy. Come into this. Come closer. Know that something softer than us but just as wholly planted pieces of itself into our feet that we might one day dance our way back. Know that you are almost home. Come just a little bit closer. There are birds beating their wings beneath your breastplates. Gentle sparrows that ache to sing. Come aching hearts. Come soldiers of joy, dormant of truth. Know that my heart was too big for my body, so I let it go. And most days this world thins me to where I'm just another cloud, forgetting another flock of swans, having shaved off so many of my corners that I felt at home only in the shape of a ball, bending myself so far backwards that the song of my mother believed I was returning home, but believe me when I tell you that somehow my soul still manages to squeeze itself into very narrow spaces. Place your hand beneath your head when you sleep tonight. Perhaps you will find it there. Making beauty as we sleep, making beauty as we dream, as we turn over, when we turn over in the ground, may the ghost that we've asked our answers of do that turning, kneading us into crumbs of light and into this thing love thing called life. Come into it, come you wooden museums, gentle tigers, little giants. I see teacups upside down glowing across your grins. Your hearts are like my hands. Some days all they do is tremble. I am like you. I'm just like you. I too at times am filled with so much fear. But like a hallway must find the strength to walk through it. Walk through this with me. Through this church of blood, bone, and muscle that is ours. There is a doorknob that glows like chance before you. Grab it, turn, and pull. Step through. Back straight. Chin up. Eyes open. Hearts loud. Walk through this with me. Walk through this with me. Thanks. So I would like for everybody, so 
Um, a quote just um, about like the reflective exercises that we've been doing um, is that memory is a human obligation. Um, so we can't have this obligation to remember things, to like hold these things that we experience. Um, so reflect on the things that you remember tonight. Um, each of the pause and reflection moments, if you can take all of those words that you remembered. Um, remember the people who have come before you, the people who couldn't learn to read or to write. Um, and ask these questions. Uh, what is your definition of scripture? Um, remember what you felt during our um, worship of the written word conversation. The bodily sensation. Remember what you felt during the session, the section where we discussed about our stories and how our stories are gifts. So I want to allow just for a moment of silence while we, while we remember those things. Um, and I want you to take these um, and ask yourself what prayer or what poem, probably for some people the word prayer seems scary and for some people probably the word poem seems scary. Oftentimes they feel like the same thing for me. So whatever word you need to insert there for yourself. Um, so what prayer do you need to write for yourself today and right now? Um, and I would, I would want to invite you to take the four things that Nika just had us recall. Um, and even the moments that we recalled throughout that Nika led us through, those remembrance exercises before each poem, um, to write your own poem in prayer. Um, I believe that... Um, everybody could, could write a poem. I don't think, you know, I don't think it takes like a special magical unicorn to write a poem. You know, you all have stories inside of you and you've all had a feeling you've all written a poem. Therefore, that's my, that's my theory. Um, and I want to challenge you to write your own, your own poem and prayer tonight um, using those remembrance exercises and those remembrance breaths. Um, maybe that can be you write it, handwrite it, and maybe, or maybe you just recite it to yourself too, or to, your family or the people in your room with you right now, your community. Um, but inside of that, I also want to challenge you to make sure you're putting your body inside of it. You know, Anise at the end of his poem, um, he writes a lot about the body, you know, back up, chin or chin up, back straight, heart loud. You know, he uses all these bodies, he places his body inside this very deep spiritual poem. Um, so I want, to, I want you to just end our time today with, um, about five minutes of just being still um, and writing your own prayer before we, we wrap up. I know we're right at time. So um, if I need, if it, is it okay if we go over? Okay, Nick is giving me a thumbs up. So let's just spend about like four minutes because it's now 726 um, in silence um, and have that remembrance exercise, that writing exercise, that reciting exercise about what poem in prayer do you need to write for yourself right now in light of those memories um i want to thank y'all for sharing this space with nika and i tonight um mm -hmm. and 
Nathan and I had two resources or two mystical idea experiences we wanted to share with y'all with poetry, but we were like, there's not enough time. So we're going to do the other one with Reverend Latia, who will be putting it in the, um, hopefully be putting it in the blog post for we in weeks to come. So um, know that that'll be there, um, along with some other poetry resources and things as well, too. Um, but I don't know if you had any other closing thoughts, Nika, before we pass it off to Tony, who's going to wrap us up in the evening. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys for sharing in all of the exercises with us this evening for taking the moment to reflect um, and taking the huge responsibility that is um, remembering 